is Tani Talks Radio, the Shear, where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. We are talking this week about the idea of don't you embarrass me. How often in life, too often in life, it's so easy for people to disparage people. It's so easy for people to not be nice to people. It is one of the terrible feelings in the entire world. What's the one of the worst feelings in the world? When did you ever feel truly awful at the hands of another or actions of those of people around you? Think about a time when you felt so ashamed, so embarrassed, and so low. What happened? What caused it? What was the reaction? How did it feel and how did it affect your day, your week, your month, your year, and your life? Embarrassment is one of the worst feelings in the world. The feeling of wanting to be swallowed up by the earth to avoid the humiliation. The feeling of being ashamed at the hands or events of people or things around you. The dictionary defines embarrassment as a feeling of self-consciousness, shame, or awkwardness. It is also defined as the state of being foolish in front of others, something or someone that causes a person or group to look or feel foolish. The word embarrass has the definition of to cause someone to feel awkward, self-conscious, or ashamed, or if it happens to you, for you to be caused to feel this. The term humiliate means to make someone feel ashamed and foolish by injuring their dignity and self-respect, especially publicly. To feel humiliated is made to be feel this by someone or something else. It is not a feeling. I or anyone would wish on anyone, I hope, or should never have to be experienced by anyone. It is truly a terrible feeling. I could still remember instances in my own life of supreme embarrassment. The details have been written out and embellished for story-like fashion. I picture myself as a middle schooler. It was an English test. I thought I did a good job, personally. This is a personal story from me, Tommy, myself. As we awaited to get our test back, I felt the nervousness in my bones and very being. Did I do a good job? Maybe I didn't do so well. Maybe I didn't even pass. I thought I did well, but who knows? I anxiously awaited getting the test back. Finally, it was my turn. The teacher roared my last name. Think up a made-up name like Shrinkleman. And I went up to receive my test. Looking back, I wonder why she used my last name and not my first. I'd much rather be called Tani than Shrinkleman, which is not my real last name. I went up to receive my test and she loudly shouted as if spitting in my face. Here's your test. Make sure to see me after class. I want to talk to you about it. I was mortified and humiliated. I wanted to sink through the floor and disappear. The whole class obviously heard her screams, and they pretended to try to look away from smirking or commenting, but I knew they heard. I was utterly embarrassed. This story still saves with me almost 20, 25 years later. Such is the power and damage embarrassment can inflict even years later. Don't you embarrass me. It is a feeling that stays, unfortunately, for years in life. It is such a destructive force that has to be so carefully handled and avoided as much as we can. The tone we use, the loudness we talk, and the setting we are in should all be considered and handled properly.
I think of another example from a similar time in my own life when I was a little younger. The details, again, have been written out and embellished for story-like fashion. I envisioned myself again in middle school but younger, participating in a city-wide spelling bee. I can remember the boxes of Entenmann's cookies handed out to us at the table as we listened to instructions for the contest. In those days, I don't remember getting the word used in a sentence. I think to how I got there, spelling some hard words correctly in my own school, moving on to compete in the city. I was so thoroughly nervous that my whole being was shaking. I sat with the other competitors, the other contestants, facing the audience of family members and others, with the judges in front of us. I heard different words being asked to spell, which I don't officially remember, but probably had words such as library, liberty, dentist, and others similar to that. It was just two people away from my turn, and I felt the sheer panic and terror course through my body. At that time in my life, I also had massive stage fright and was not into speaking at all, much different than I am nowadays. Then it was about to be my turn. Ah, so terrifying! Then it was my turn. I stood up to the bright lights above and around me. Again, this is a personal story that happened to me, Tani, myself. The spelling judge, one of a few judges, asked me, and I believe this is the word I was asked to do to this day, although I may be wrong, please spell auxiliary for us. I think to myself, aw, what? Aux, what? What is that? I had no clue to what that was referring to. What does that word even mean? Interestingly, that word haunts me to this day. I see it all over the place. Auxiliary police, auxiliary different things. I see it all over the place, all over town and all over the world. But at that time, who ever heard of such a crazy word? Oh, what? What is that supposed to be? I had no clue to what that was referring to. How is a middle school child or 11 or 12, maybe 10, supposed to know what that is? I trembled to myself, literally shaking in my boots, thinking this is it. It's over. I have no idea of this word or how to spell it. They don't give sentences for the word and I have no context for the word or where it would fit in. I begin to spell and hope for the best. Auxiliary! A! You! At this point, everyone is looking expectantly at me. And then spell out the next letter, Z! And immediately, the judge bellows, INCORRECT! Please sit down, you have been eliminated! I stay frozen in place in shock. What? I'm out? I'm out just like that? In such a saying to myself, how could this be? Oh, what? In that point in my life, in that point in my time, I literally felt so embarrassed and so ashamed. I got out from a letter in the spelling competition, spelling it A-U-Z instead of A-U-X, and I felt so utterly defeated, so ashamed at that point in my life. After being bellowed incorrect, please sit down, you've been eliminated, I was in shock, I'm out so quickly, just like that, from one word in the spelling bee, everyone else gets so much easier words like bread and library and whatever. Really humiliated, I sank down and I never felt in so embarrassed in my entire short life at that point. I was only 11 or 12, but at that point in my life, I never had felt so embarrassed in my entire life. That feeling of embarrassment, that feeling of failure from that day stays with me for nearly 
nearly 20, 25 years later, it stays with me. The way we interact with and deal with others, even the words we use and the mannerisms we speak in and how we say things can really make all the difference. The coldness of the words we speak, even if you tell, even if you see a kid is in the middle of a spelling bee like I was with tens of other kids, hundreds of other kids, it comes to my turn. Yes, I might have spelled the word incorrectly, but could there be a nicer way a more sensitive way, a calmer way, a more loving way of saying, I'm so sorry, Tani, but this word was not spelled correctly. We're going to unfortunately have to ask you to sit down. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for participating. Give it up for Tani. Great try. Yay. No, all they said was incorrect. Please sit down. You have been eliminated. You know, they didn't obviously say it in that way, but that's how I felt. And this feeling has stayed with me for years. You know, my son himself was in a Shimbi just a couple of months ago in the local school. We sent him to the day school in our town. And Baruch Hashem, he did fantastic. But I saw and I was watching the other students did not do as well. And when they were eliminated, it was not done in the best way and and mind you the person who was emceeing the event i love him i'm a good friend of his big fan of him as a rabbi and as a teacher but i felt like there was more that could have been done you know you don't have to say incorrect sit down you're out you know you could say i'm so sorry thank you so much for trying but unfortunately that's not the correct spelling that's not the correct way of we saying this shorish this root the spelling of the word you know, the kid is mortified. He's standing up in front of 200 people around, you know, family members and staff and kids and the administration. There must be a better way to say it. Yes, it might take more time. Yes, it might take more words. Yes, it might take more coaxing and more ability. It might take more effort. But how much better would the kid feel? Do you want the kid to feel like I felt when I was in my spelling bee when I was in middle school and I was literally shot down over one wrong letter and a crazy word to begin with? with to be given to begin with incorrect please sit down you have been eliminated we could change that i'm so sorry unfortunately that's not correct the word is spelled a different way we appreciate you joining us thank you for participating give it a roundup of applause for this contestant the way we deal with others the words we use the mannerisms we speak and how we say things can really make all the difference the coldness of the words we speak the tone we use the harshness of such statements utterly defeating and cutting down to the people involved is a feeling that unfortunately is present too often in too many people in too many situations and in too many places why is it why does this feeling do so much torment and so much torture and so much effect on us? The Gemara teaches in Brachos 43b, Rav Zutra Bar Tovia said that Rav said, and some say Rav Chana Bar Bizna said that Rav Shimon HaChasida said, Hasida said, and some say Rabbi Yochanan said, and the name of Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai. It is preferable from an ethical perspective for one to throw himself into a fiery furnace rather than humiliate another human being in public. This line is key, and I think it bears repeating. If nothing else, from this sheer, from this talk, from this topic, if nothing else you remember besides for my silly story about my spelling test from middle school or my spelling bee, interestingly they both were related to spelling when it came to the embarrassment, interesting, from middle school as well for myself, at least remember this one line. It is preferable, the Gemara says, from an ethical perspective for one to throw himself into a fiery furnace 
rather than humiliate another person in public. And I'm not talking about the Sima Shas where there's 92,000 people. I'm not talking about a sports game where there's 6,000 people. In public means in public, it means in public. Whether it's on Facebook, which is cyber public. Whether it means on a WhatsApp group, which is a virtual public. Whether it's on Zoom, which is a interactive virtual public. Or whether it's three people on the street. Public is public is public. It doesn't have to be thousands of people doesn't even have to be 10 people. If you're on a group or you're with your wife or you're with family and someone embarrasses you in front of other people, that's Malbim Berabim and that is a supreme sin. People don't understand that. They understand that here in 2023 summer, we know the three weeks are about to start and the Tishabav is just upon us in a couple of weeks. You know that the base of Migdash was destroyed because of Sinat Chinam. What do you think contributes to Sinat Chinam? What do you think contributes to baseless hatred? The idea of humiliating others in public. In fact, the whole episode of the destruction of the base of Migdor started because Malbim, Penechavero, and Rabim. You don't believe me? Go look at the Gemara in Gitin, which starts out with the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa and ends with the destruction of the base of Migdor. It says, Akamsa o Bar Kamsa Chorva Yerushalayim. The Gemara says, point blank, because of the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, the entire Yerushalayim, including the base of Migdor, was put up in flames because of one story of supreme embarrassment, the entire Jewish people was displaced from Yerushalayim, from Israel. The base Megdash was destroyed because of public embarrassment. So yes, it is preferable from an ethical perspective for one to throw himself into a fiery furnace rather than to humiliate another in public. Look and study the story of Kamsa Bar Kamsa if you don't believe me. We know the story from Tamar and Yehuda. Yehuda was with Tamar, not in a great way, not in the best way. Yehuda sees the mistake, understands the mistake. He's about to let her be burned at the stake because it was a supreme affront and a supreme sin at the time. But Yehuda... And we can't judge a person, obviously we're not in their shoes, but apparently that was the sentencing for such an act. Yehuda realizes the error of his ways. Literally, she would rather die, be brought to the fiery furnace than let Yehuda be embarrassed in public, but she did it in a smart way, sending the items that Yehuda had given to her so that he could recognize whether discreetly or not that it was from him. He ended up saving the day, obviously own, owning up to his situation and owning up to the idea but we know that she would have been taken to the stake and be burned rather than embarrass him in public and of course there's a great story of a Talmudic sage Mar Okva we'll get to in a minute also a beautiful story that teaches us this as well but we know this from Talmud Bavli Kisuvos it's better for a person to jump into a fiery furnace rather than embarrass his friend in public why? Because Baba Metziah explains in 58b, he who publicly shames his neighbor is as though he shed blood. Verbal wrong is more heinous than monetary wrong, both coming from Baba Metziah. So it is worse in a way, the Gemara explains, to publicly shame someone than to kill someone. Because when you publicly shame someone, it is like you're killing them. Did you ever see what a person's face looks like when they're embarrassed publicly? 
Did you ever see what their body looks like when they're embarrassed publicly? They shake, they tremble, their face clears, it becomes white or it becomes red, burning in shame. There are different facets of being embarrassed in public. There are facets of being shamed publicly. It is as though you are literally killing the person. Do what you can to never do this to anyone. One humiliates Sanhedrin 107. One who humiliates another before the multitudes has no share no share in the world to come. So we know it's a very bad thing. This is not a good thing. What is going on here behind these statements explaining to us why? Why is there the reason to avoid embarrassment? Is there a re- deeper reason? Ta- Talmudology points out, T-A-L-M-U-D-O-L-O-G-Y.com explains the phrase used to denote embarrassment in the Talmud. As we mentioned already a few times, L'halbim Penechavero, especially Berabim is a no-no, to whiten the face of another. At first, embarrassment causes the face to redden as the blood pools. Then as it drains away from the victim, the victim is left white with shame. There are different triggers that blush a person, that make a person embarrassed, a threat to public identity, praise or public attention, scrutiny, and oddly enough, accusations of blushing. The Talmud calls it Haben Penei Chavero. It's literally making the face of another person turn white. It's the opposite of what actually occurs when a person blushes. It seems to suggest suggest a deeper level of embarrassment. According to the Talmud, the person is so embarrassed that the blood drains from his face, causing him to turn pale. The archaic use of the word embarrass is to hamper or impede. We may use it to mean to cause someone to feel uncomfortable, self-conscious, ashamed, awkward. Shame is the painful emotion arising from the consciousness of someone or something dishonoring or ridiculous or indecorous in one's conduct or in a situation which offends one's sense of modesty or decency. And humiliation is, of course, to make someone lower, humble, in position. Or .edu points out, O-H-R.edu points out that a Talmudic sage taught the following in the presence of Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak, one who embarrasses another in public is as if he is committing murder. It is, is it as if he is committing murder. We need to, to do what we can to be better about this. Don't you embarrass me. And I'm not just talking about me, Tani, but I'm talking to you and you and you. Don't you embarrass him. Don't you embarrass anyone. Whether it's him in front of his brother, whether it's her in front of her sister, whether it's her in front of her friend, him in front of his friend, anything in the presence of himself or more is considered public. It doesn't have to be Rishus Harabin. It doesn't have to be a seum. It doesn't have to be a sports game. It doesn't have to be a classroom. It could be just another person. Any person can be embarrassed in public, and it is a grievous, grievous sin. The Gemara in Kasuvo 67b talks of the very famous story that I mentioned and referenced earlier, very famous story to the lengths that we're supposed to go to to avoid embarrassment. There was a poor person in the time of the Talmud, and Marukva would daily leave coins behind the poor man's door. One day, the poor man wanted to find out who had been leaving coins for him, so he waited until Marukva and his wife stopped by and dropped off the coins. The pauper tried to follow them. When Marukva noticed he was being followed, he ran with his wife and hid in a hot furnace so as not to embarrass the man. 
Eventually, Marokva realized that his wife's feet were sa- were saved, while his own feet was singed as well. Marokva asked his wife, "How come your feet was saved? Don't we both try to give charity to the poor?" Which, by the way, is a beautiful thing. It shows how you really should do things with your spouse as much as possible. Mitzvahs for sure, chesed for sure, Torah learning for sure, but even on a much slower level, lahavdil, watching things together, reading things together, spending times together, that is the best part of the day, should be the best part of the day. After the kids are in bed and after you're done with your job and all the chores, sit down for an hour, two hours, or at least a half hour, watch something together, do something together every single night. And on Friday night in Yom Tov, when you can't watch, Read next to each other, swap books, talk about the books. Easy, simple way to increase shalom bias in the home. We try very hard to watch throughout the week a cooking show, and then on the, the weekends, sometimes we have a different show, sometimes a talent show. I talk about this a lot on all the shirim. And on Friday night at Yom Tov, we read next to each other book club, and we oftentimes swap and see where we're up to in the book. Very simple things. But really, what we should try to do in life is to do things with our spouses, to do things in the world, to do Torah, Chesed, and Mitzvahs. And here the Gemara talks about how this couple would do it together. Great sage would still find time with his wife to do a beautiful mitzvah but the end is his wife's feet were saved but his was not because he was more in a rush to do the mitzvah and she points out that she would give a kind word she would give in a little extra time give a little something to eat or something to drink to the person who needed that not just the money but needed the time and the sympathetic ear and needed that interaction to make them feel better So we see that embarrassment really is damaging. We should be careful to avoid any embarrassment to those around us. We should be careful whether it be family, friends, acquaintances, and the like. We should be careful whether it's with our words, with our mannerism, with our tones, with our body language, and the like. Harsh words is not necessary. Even if we need to talk or criticize, we have a whole share about that as well. We should use kind words, a loving tone, a gentle manner, soft-spoken manner, soft-spoken words. And that way, maybe we can bring about more ahavat schinam, lashon tov, good words, gentle speech, and love for all people with baseless love to those around us. As we enter the three weeks and we enter the Tishabav days coming upon us very quickly, the way to counteract Sinas Chinam, the way to counteract the destruction of the Besamigdash, which was caused, at least one of them, because of Sinas Chinam, obviously the other one was, you know, Shvich Astamim, Gilei Reis, and Avodah Zorah. Too often, too many people are idolizing way too many things that are not correct. Idolizing money, idolizing power, idolizing entertainers or whatnot. And of course, people spread, spill too much blood, whether it be real blood, Loelenio, God forbid, or whether it be embarrassment blood, which we already proved is as bad as murder. Or whether people are not being moral in the right sense of the word. This is the time to think about how we could write this. If Sinav Chinam was the problem, the Chavitz Chaim, I believe, and other sources point out, then Ahavas Chinam is the solution. Sinav Chinam is the problem, Ahavas Chinam is the solution. Love people around you just because they're Jews, just because they have a pentelegi, just because they have the spark within them. Do what you can to use good words. Not Lashon Hara, Lashon Tov, not Mosi Shem Ra, but Mosi Shem Tov, not Rachilas, but talking good things. Not Avak Lashon or Avak Rachilas, but Avak Lashon Tov. You know, I'm not using exactly words that'll talk about how good the person is, but I'm hinting to it as well. With baseless love, we can counteract Sinas Chinam. That destroyed the second base of Migdash. 
It is to be involved in loving a fellow Jew and another human because of the divine spark within them. We know that the story of the Beis Hamikdash being destroyed and the people being let out in the Chorban was because Akamsa Okamsa Chorban Yerushalayim Chorban Beis Hamikdash because of the wild embarrassment. This story, you read the story, it is wild in a bad way. You know, this guy invites the wrong guy by accident. He wanted his friend Kamsa, but his enemy from 20 years ago, Rabbi Foreman likes to say on his beautiful series on Aleph Beta, you should watch it also. Over the three weeks or Tisha B'Av, it's a great thing to watch. This schnuck who cheated me out of business 20 years ago, he says, he didn't want him at the party at all, but end up that the waiter made the mistake. Kamsa doesn't realize that at first, but he blames the, the enemy for coming, and then it spirals out of control. The rabbis didn't say anything. He told the guests, please, I'll pay for my spot. I'll pay for the other people's spot. I'll pay for half the party, the whole party. Please don't embarrass me. Don't throw me out of the party. And there was a massive amount of embarrassment. Mabam barabim, massively barabim. It was like a party. Uh, uh, you can imagine if it was a wedding that could have had hundreds of people that saw this embarrassment. Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. So Bar Kamsa gets really mad, but who does he get really mad at? Instead of being really mad at Kamsa, who is really the instigator, he gets mad at the rabbis because the rabbis didn't stand up and defend his honor. And then he says, I'm going to mess with the rabbis. He sends this this instigation against the Roman Empire, and then he, say, he sends a defunct Korban, which wasn't defunct for the Romans, but defunct for the Bay and Israel. The Romans see what goes on. Rome gets really angry. Nero tries to destroy them, but realizes that something's at play, and he switches back, who is actually the hero of the story, and then eventually Rome destroys the whole Yerushalayim, all because of this Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, all because of the massive embarrassment. We see if we could avoid embarrassment, we could avoid massive problems and massive re- repercussions. You know, Pirkei Elvis already tells us eons ago, Ezeho Chacham the Gemara also says, not just Halomen Mikol Adam, which is the main one people remember from the Pirkei Avos, but the Talmud really tells us, Ezehu Chacham who is a smart one, someone who could foresee the actions, the consequences of his actions. If you know that this guy is very vindictive, if you know he's going to take revenge, you know this guy is going to unleash fury upon you and everyone around you, then wouldn't you do what you can to try to avoid embarrassing him in any way? Wouldn't you realize that he could avoid it? If Kamsa just looked at Bar Kamsa and realized that he had this nature, if he snooked him out of business 20 years ago, obviously, already to begin with, there's something not good with this character. You could have had foresight to realize there was a major effect that could have happened. If we could have foresight, we could avoid many different things. Bartonor and Pirkei Elvis points out to us, the face of one who is embarrassed turns red first and then white. One outwards and one inwards. The aspect of embarrassed is the embarrassment. It's when the redness of the cheek disappears and then whiteness comes. The Bar Kamsa story we talk about that we mention many times, it literally says that Jerusalem was destroyed on account of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. For those of you joining us in Dafyomi land, we are in the middle of Gittin, and God willing, in just a few weeks or so, we're going to come to Gittin 55b, which talks about the idea of how Jerusalem was destroyed on account of Kams and Bar Kams. We already said the story, and you can look at it there, getting 55, it goes into an at length, and basically, because of his supreme embarrassment, the entire temple was destroyed. This story talks about how great is the power of shame. Gittin 57 talks about after the whole story. Hashem assisted Bar Kamsa, who had been humiliated, and due to his humiliation and shame, Hashem destroyed his own temple and burned his own sanctuary. That's how powerful 
one act of embarrassment could be that it could destroy the entire world. We've got to be very careful with other people's honor. We have to be very careful not to insult those around you because it could lead to drastic and devastating circumstances. Arrogance. Those who are arrogant are going to go to Gehenna. Those who are for blushing will go for the Garden of Eden. Perkevus points out to us in 520. Brachos points out in 12b, one who commits, as Rabbi Rabbi Barachinina Sava said in the name of Rab, one who commits an act of transgression is ashamed of it. All his transgressions are forgiven. So that's a good type of embarrassment where you realize and can own up to it. But in general, we need to make sure to be the hallmarks of the Jewish people. You have almost 79. David said there are three distinguishing marks of this nation, the Jewish people. They are merciful, they are shamefaced, and they perform acts of kindness. These are things that we need to have in our life. These are things we need to have in our repertoire. These are things that we need to do in our own life to make sure that we have and we participate and we uphold in our own life. We want it to be in our our lives that we have these elements that we have these natures to ourselves we want to keep this as a part of ourselves if one causes his fellow's face to blush in public a well-known agada teaches that one who causes his fellow to be embarrassed is as if he killed him Pirkeus teaches us one who is embarrassed and blushes as a mistakes will learn from them will not continue to sin judaism doesn't want perfection but rather moral progress. So that's a good type of thing. But we don't want to be the ones that destroy those around us. We don't want to be the ones that make people upset, that make people ashamed in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Sota 7b talks about how Yehuda admitted was not embarrassed to do so. What was his end? He inherited the life of the world to come. Reuven also admitted his misdeed and was not embarrassed. His end was also the life of the world to come. We, not to, we want to make sure to understand even small things. The fact that we whispered the Amida. Why do you think the sages did that? So to 32b points out, because we don't want to embarrass transgressors who confess their transgressions during their prayer. You're supposed to say Achit and Ashamnu in your own in, in your own private field. Obviously, also very quietly. People don't have to hear the Ashamnus and the Achits. They themselves say it themselves as well. Of course. How is payment for humiliation assessed? Baba Kama 86a asks, it depends on the stature of the one who humiliates it than the one who is humiliated. And Baba Basra points out 93, Rabbi Shimon Gamil says, if someone invites others, guests, to eat food and he's unable to serve them, the worker must give him compensation for his humiliation and compensation for the humiliation of his guests. Even something as simple as serving people at a meal could be embarrassment. We have to be careful to that. And we have to be careful to do that. When Moshe made a mistake and he didn't realize about a certain aspect of a korban after ah, after Aharon lost two of his children, Moshe heard it was good in his eyes. He was not embarrassed, didn't attempt to adjust by himself. They didn't hear the halakha till now. He said, I heard it and I forgot it. Aharon understands and I, and I own up to my misdeed. That comes from Zevachim 101. In general, if we understand and realize that there are many things in the Torah, there are many things in life that we're supposed to be humble about. We're not supposed to insult others. We're not supposed to embarrass others. If we could understand that we are such a minuscule speck on the earth, maybe we could do much better in this world. Maybe we could do much better to help those around us. Maybe we could do much more to help the world out, to humble ourselves, to do what we can, to have a proper sense of shame, a proper sense of modesty, a proper sense of being able to understand what to be involved with in this life. Even David Amalek and Brachos 4 points out, 
was not embarrassed to admit his errors right away. He embarrassed, he owned up to his mistakes, especially with the Bacheva incident when Nassim Rabbi comes to him and explains to him, shame is a sign that one truly despises his transgressions and the shame is the power to atone for his actions, Brachos 12b points out. Understanding that in life we should do what we can when we're having guests, when we're helping others, hopefully dealing with others, trying to give to others, understand, give to them in the right way so they're not embarrassed to be given. We know the highest level of charity besides giving them a job, letting them stand on their own two feet, which is the best, which would also be like when people set up things for you and set up cards for you to go shopping if you don't have money, set up accounts for you at a local store so that you have the money to go and still have the dignity to shop, which is a beautiful thing that I've seen with my own two eyes. Really, the best is to give someone a job, but the second best is when it's anonymous, both ways. You don't know who the giver is, and the giver and the and the taker doesn't know who the giver is, and the giver doesn't know who the taker is. Each way, there's a way to keep it in dignity, to keep it in a way that we could keep the shame out of it, keep the embarrassment out of it, do what we can to make sure that they won't be embarrassed, to make sure that they are sensitive, that we are sensitive to others, not to embarrass them, even in a small way. Realize even small acts of kindness to avoid embarrassment can really make all the difference in a person's life. Sometimes we don't know everything. You know, Rashi himself is not... Ashamed or embarrassed to say, I don't know. My heart tells me, when he's talking about the A photo, a very famous example, I don't know exactly, but my heart tells me this is what I saw one time, the dignitaries, the nobility writing, and this must be what it is. But, you know, we can own up to the fact that we don't know every, everything. A rabbi, even at a public lecture, Pasach in 110a points out that he might not always have the answers, but it's improper to raise difficulties against the rabbi, especially if he might not know it, so that he won't be embarrassed by his inability to answer. But it's okay not to know everything as well, I would say. It's okay if you don't know everything. You say, I don't know. My kids ask me all the time things. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry, girly. I don't know. I don't always know things. I, there are a lot of things I don't know. But in life, it is okay to say, I don't know. It is okay that we don't know everything, and it's okay we don't understand everything. We talked about that last week on the Tani Talks Parsha here in the summer 2023 when we're talking about chukah spalak, the idea of chukah, a chuk. We don't know everything. We don't understand everything, and that's okay. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes that's okay. And that's a part of life. We have to understand that we don't know everything, and we don't have to be embarrassed. We don't know everything. Nobody can know everything. We should be respectful in life. We should be respectful and take what we get, take what we can in this life. Fascinating story from Shmuel Bet 16. You want to talk about someone who in life really can take the insults and not be ashamed and not be embarrassed and not pounce on it, even though he had the power, the strength, and the ability, the authority to do so. King David, Shmuel Bet 16, was approaching Bahorim, a member of Shoal's clan, a man named Shimi ben Gera, Shimi son of Gera, came out from there hurling insults as he came. He threw stones at David and all of King David's courtiers while all the troops and all the warriors were at his right and at his left. And these are the insults. Shimi said, Get out, get out, you criminal, you villain. The Lord is paying you back for your crimes against Shaul. Mind you, David was in the right. David could have killed Shaul many times. He had many instances. He understood. It's coming from Hashem. He knew that Shaul had like this melancholia, the despondency, the depression, whatever you call it. He had so many things thrown at him. Avishai, son of Surya, says to, Yo, to David, why don't you let me take care of him? I'll cut off his head. 
David says, what does this have to do with you? He is abusing me because Hashem told him to abuse me. And what are you going to do about it? Let him go on hurling abuse, for the Lord has told him to do so. Perhaps the Lord will look upon my punishment or encompass me for the abuse Shimei has uttered today. They continue on the way. He literally walks alongside them, insulting him as he walked, throwing stones and flinging dirt. Can you imagine the strength of character? Can you imagine the strength and willpower to allow him to insult such a person, to insult the king of Israel, the whole of Israel? This guy is hurling insults. Don't you worry. Shimmy got what was due to him at the end of his life. Shlomo took care of him. David's son, when David's dying and gives him his spiritual legacy, his spiritual will, if you will, in Malach HaMalaf, Perak Bet, which is actually my Haftorah, one of my favorite prakim in all of Tanakh, it's my Haftorah from Vayachi. David tells Shlomo what to do to take care of him. If Shimmy doesn't hold his word, you take him out. You take him down. He massively embarrassed me back in the day. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't secure enough to take care of him. But you take care of him. You do what you can to make sure that he has what's coming to him. Don't let his white hair go down to the grave peacefully, basically is what David says to him. We have to do what we can in life. When things are coming upon us, you saw and it saw us that Hashem sends to us. Obviously, everything Hashem gives us for the good, but not everybody is on that level. It's not so easy to be on that level. It's not so easy to understand that level. We have to do what we can to try to take life as it is so what we can do in understanding what comes to us in this life. Understand what comes to us in this life. You know, it's interesting that sometimes there are two types of robbers, sometimes two types of stealers. Baba Kama points out in 79a, what is the reason? The students ask Rabbi Yochan ben Zake, a great sage on his own right, he literally single-handedly saved Torah jewelry back in his day when the whole you, the whole art show was going down under. You know, Rabbi Yochan ben Zake had the brilliant solution to feign fake his own death. His students take him out. They want to, like mess with the casket to make sure he's dead. Yochanan Medzake, Rabbi Yochanan Medzake, comes to Vespasian, I believe, and he asks him, you know, he tells him, General, oh, king, oh, king, and general says, I should kill you for two reasons. If I'm king, why did nobody tell me yet? And if I'm king, why didn't you come visit me yet? And they come right then and there and say that you're king. The other one died, and he's so impressed with Yochanan Medzake, he could have asked for anything. Rabbi Yochanan Medzake, excuse me, I keep saying Rabbi Yochanan Medzake, Rabbi Yochanan Mezaka asked for three fascinating things. He could have asked for anything, and he might have been granted anything. He could have asked to save the whole Eretz Yisrael, the whole Yerushalayim. But obviously he was a great sage, and he knew that wasn't possible. He asked for three simple things. A doctor for Rabbi Tzadok was a great sage who was dying from fasting for, like, years, I think days and months and years even, and apparently they couldn't get a doctor for him. He asked to save the royal house of the Nasi, I believe Rabbi Gamliel's family, and they asked to save Yavna and its sages, which was basically a flourishing Torah center, which was genius because they felt like, what is this random town? What are we going to save? What do we care? We'll take down the whole base, make sure the whole Shalim, the whole rest of Israel. Well, let them have Yavna. Yochan, Rabbi Yochanan Menzake had the great, tremendous foresight. He wasn't embarrassed, wasn't ashamed to fake his own death and to, to stand before the would-be emperor to save the whole Torah jewelry. Fascinating. So Rabbi Yochanan Menzake, the great Rabbi Yochanan Menzake himself says, what is the reason? A Torah is stricter with a thief than with a robber. Only a thief is required to pay double, fourfold, or fivefold payment. Not a robber. Rabbi Yochanan Menzake said, because this one, the robber, equated the honor of the servant to the honor of the master. That one, the thief, did not equate the honor of the servant to the honor of the master. The, rab- the robber fears neither God nor people as he's not afraid to rob in public. The thief does not fear God, but he does fear other people because stealing at night 
happens under the cover of darkness and nobody can see them except for God, which demonstrates that he is more concerned about humans than God. How often, too often, are we not concerned about anything? We'll embarrass someone publicly without any thought to himself, to the family, to his work, to things around him, not thinking about how Hashem is with us, looking at us, listening to us all our days. How can we think like that? How can we work like that? How could we be involved with that? We have to do what we can to be better about these things. Don't you embarrass me. Don't you embarrass him. Don't anyone embarrass anyone else. Do what you can to be better about this. Perky Elvis points out in 112, why do we want to be like the students of Aaron? Oiv shalom arodev shalom. What does it mean that Aaron would pursue peace? Because the whole Jewry cried for Aaron for 30 days, men and women alike, but only the men, the house of the men of Israel, cried for Moshe for 30 days. What? The, why the difference? Because Aharon was the great peacemaker between families, between spouses, between friends. According to a legend in Avosturban and Asan, when two men had quarreled with each other, Aharon would go and sit down with one of them and say, My son, mark what your fellow is saying. He beats his chest and tears his clothing, saying, Woe well, to me, how shall I lift my eyes and look upon my fellow? I am ashamed before him, I who treated him badly. He would sit with him until he had removed all anger from his heart, and then Aaron would go and sit with the other one and say to him the same thing that he said to the first. And when the two men met each other, they embraced and kissed one another. Aaron brought peace between Jews. Aharon brought peace between Jews. He was able to draw people closer to Torah. Aharon would make a habit of associating with evil people until they grew embarrassed and thought, Woe unto us if Aharon knew what we are like, what our life is like. He would resolve never again to set eyes upon us. He must think we are worthy people. If Aharon could befriend us, we must at least try to make our conduct correspond to his thinking. How brilliant. And that way they would be drawn to association with him and learning Torah from him. How smart to do that. In that way, we pray to God and the sitter after in Birkas Amazon. We pray that we will not be embarrassed in this world, we will not be denigrated in the next world. And we should be Zoha that no one embarrasses us and we don't embarrass anyone else in our life. We have to do what we can. If we need to rebuke people, if we need to criticize people, it should be without embarrassing them, it should be without hurting them, it should be without damaging them in the process. We have to do what we can. To be careful with that. Rashi points out on Devarim 1.3. Moshe reproved the people, gave them Musar shortly before his death. Where did he learn this from? From Yaakov, who gave it only before his death as well. He said, Ruvain, I didn't reprove you. I didn't give you Musar earlier on. I didn't give you rebuke earlier. I was afraid you'd go join Esav. I can't imagine he would have joined Esav, but that's what Yaakov said. And Moshe said, similarly, I'm going to reprove them, but it has to be before my death. Let it be, so I do so before my breath. Also, Yehoshua did it right before his death, as well as Shmuel did right before his death, and David also before his death. Because Moshe thought, if I do beforehand, what are they going to do? What are they going to stay? Are they going to stay with me? Are they going to run away? Literally crazy that he has to think this way after all he did for the Jewish people, literally redeeming them, literally taking care of them, and he has to still think this way. But even Moshe felt like you have to do what you can to talk to people even if they're going to feel embarrassed, but hopefully do it in a way that they don't feel embarrassed, but do what you can to be going out in their own way. And fascinating how the Mishnah talks about, the Gemara talks about that poor people and uh, rich people alike would use the same type of wicker baskets to bring the the the. The Bechorot offering, the, the, the Bikurim, excuse me, offering the first fruits and how in the times of Tubav, which was a beautiful joyous day, everyone would wear the same clothing so as not to embarrass other people who didn't have money. The Mishnah describes it in Tanis 26b. 
A remarkable Yom Kippur custom during the Temple times. There were no happier days for the Jews during the, the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. On those days, the young woman of Yerushalayim would go out and borrow white clothes in order to avoid embarrassing those who did not own any. They would dance in the vineyard saying, Young man, please look and choose someone. Don't look at beauty, look at the family. You know, look at the yichas, but everyone would wear the same thing because we don't want anyone to be embarrassed. Don't even use a nickname that somebody doesn't like. Don't even use a name that someone doesn't approve of. We need to do what we can in this life to avoid embarrassment. Very often we have the power to do what we can to be involved in not embarrassing people. We should make sure not to cause the damage to another that results in the outer expression of the face change. You really have the power in your life to make sure that we could avoid embarrassing people. If we just have a little foresight, we just have a little bit to look into our own lives and to look into our own surroundings, we could do what we can to go and to be what we can in this life to avoid embarrassing people. From comps and bar comps, so we could see how powerful one act of embarrassment is that could destroy the whole world. Be careful with other people's honors. Don't insult those around you. Sometimes shame is good, especially in relation to misdeeds, as that proves we have a conscience and are hallmarks of the Jewish people. When we own up to misdeeds without justifying them and try to be careful of the feelings of those around us, it is less... It really leads us to getting Olam Haba. Shame can be a powerful force when used correctly to guide us to do mitzvahs and good for others in the world. Be sensitive to others. Don't embarrass them even in small ways that might have been thought of otherwise. Who can you give the bread to first if you have people at your meal? Maybe if someone's a widow, God forbid, or a ger, someone doesn't have parents, God forbid. Small acts of kindness to avoid embarrassment can make all the difference. We can make others feel embarrassed, less embarrassed by showing empathy, performing small powerful acts. We should be respectful even of the dead, show proper etiquette not to embarrass them, like tuck your tits is in in a cemetery. We should try our best to take insults and embarrassment and criticism that comes our way if Hashem sends it to us through a messenger without reacting or responding. I could tell you many times I've had admin be very mean to me. Where's your stuff? Show me your stuff. You have five minutes to show your stuff. Why did you do that? When are you doing that? When are you going to see this kid? The best response is really no response, or the best response is a soft response, because no more do they want out of you than to get a rise out of you, to yell back or to raise back, and then they can write you up for something else. But when you don't act, react, when you don't speak harshly or softly, that's the best. When giving to others, make sure to do so with a smile. Don't make them feel embarrassment. Giving to others, giving them a job, I like to stand as the best, but giving honestly and taking an honestly is really the best. Be kind and considerate to others, understand others, try to help out with keeping the feelings in mind. Be mindful of people's conditions and situations if they would be embarrassed to be called or visited. Remember, fear Hashem in public and private. Hashem knows and sees all. Try to make peace with others. Work out any feelings of embarrassment. Be careful when giving rebuke and what time, how to do it. It's all in the timing and the placement. Avoid it if you can, but if necessary, do it in a loving manner at the right time with the soft words. And very often we have the power to avoid situations of embarrassment for others. Make sure to do so to help those around you. I started off with the two stories of my personal embarrassment, which haunts me from my middle school days. And I'm going to end off talking again about these two stories. Think about how I was called out. Schminkelman Kamiya. Schminkelman Kamiya. This spelling test, you did a terrible job. Make sure to see me after class. If you're a teacher, you have underlings, you have employees, you have people who talk to you, make sure to do what you can to avoid the embarrassment. It's so easy. If you're involved in a contest, you're involved in an interaction or a competition, it's very easy to avoid these kind of things. You don't have to say, incorrect, please sit down, you have been eliminated, like I was. It's very simple to have a kind heart, to have a kind way of going about it. We could do what we can 
can in this life to do better, to be better, to do good. If we could do Ahavat Chinam, that would really help us rebuild the base of speedily in our days and may that day happen, in fact, today. This has been Tani Talks Radio where we talk a topic for the week. For the audience members to keep joining us next time, same time, God willing, hopefully back to regular, in the same place here on Tani Talks Radio, and I'm your host, Tani.